but I wanted to make a Minecraft mod. And that was the only reason that I entered college knowing anything about programming. I entered college knowing a little bit about programming because I wanted to um, in, impress my friends and the, and be respected by the adults in my life. It do be like that. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Zach. Hey, Liz. Uh, so, as a preface, um, as we're speaking, it is March 2022. So just use use that to, to frame this in the larger painting of history that you've got in your brain. We write history every day. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um. I never really got around to the part where I put this all in a logical structure. <laughs> um, but I, I have something I would like to talk about. Usually when I'm talking on, on the podcast, if I'm like d- deep diving into something, it's either about bikes and buses or it's about farm politics. Um, Sounds about right. Yeah. In... Was it in March? In either late February or very early March, um, Russia took their troops that are Russian and they put them in Ukraine, which is another country. And usually unless your two countries have agreed on where (laughs) troops should be, when you put your troops in someone else's country, that's an invasion. Um, This is not the start i expected based on the title of this topic wow all right here we go uh so that's maybe will help you a little bit better put put this all into context after world war ii uh Uh um we started doing the cold war um, which was where there were now two global superpowers that had the capability of deploying nuclear weapons. Um, and radically different ideas about how economies should be structured. And that's the only difference. Um, don't you worry about the fact that political systems and economic systems can, can and should be separated from one another. Uh, just don't think about that and acknowledge that we had economic differences and therefore we had to have a Cold War. Um, and as part of that, this is I started to go down this rabbit hole and I didn't get there yet. So maybe this is a, a follow down. Um, as part of that, we did a lot of things. And in that era, post-World War II, uh, we decided to develop a... Uh, a pattern of building things in America that relied so much on oil. We said, hey, we have cars now and we can use these cars. Um, and we can also y- use our racism and like the interests of special interest groups and also this like constant anxiety about what's going to happen to us um if too many of us are clustered in a single place and also um you know look at the soviets they've they've all got apartment buildings and we are american and we don't do that um and you see we're better um and so we became hugely dependent on oil um just to really show those dirty commies who is who <laughs> <laughs> It's a funny way to, to frame it. I like that. <laughs> Remember where I said this? <laughs> I forgot the, to do the part where I made this all make sense. Um, that's just another element in the in the timeline of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. We've got post-World War II, 40s and 50s and 60s, um, on, and on into later decades. But like, you know, uh, Cold War and developing... Uh, a car dependent America. And then 
for a while we were less mad at russia um and maybe we could be friends and reagan said tear down this wall and then they did and that's all it took all it took was just reagan saying some words and then they tore down the wall and then uh in late february or early march i honestly can't remember if 2022 um russia took all of their not all of their troops russia took too many of their troops which is any and put them uh in a country that is not theirs and so we're mad at russia again for the imperialism and we want to figure out uh how to not need the fossil fuels that they have but as you might remember we wanted to show those dirty commies who's boss and so we became entirely dependent on oil to you know maintain the functioning of our world and or of our country and of our country's economy we hate the communists so we're gonna use oil that we're gonna get from the communists <laughs> well at that point we weren't getting oil from the communists it's just we said tear down this wall and then we started getting oil from i really hesitate to call modern russia communist i mean uh, fair yeah that's not <laughs> i think there was a point in time where the USSR and Russia had communist ideals. And I think they're basically from the start, the like core of communism in Russia was a very authoritarian kind of communism. Um, and I don't like authoritarianism. <laughs> and so the United States, um, gets 8% of our oil. Ever since we said tear down the wall, we've been increasing the amount of oil and oil byproducts that we get from Russia. And so in 2021, it was around 8% of our... Let me see what the words are. 8% um, of the U.S. oil. Um, that's oil that comes from within the U.S. and oil imports. 8% of the total oil consumption and oil byproduct consumption is coming from Russia, which is like a non-zero amount, uh, but it also is not very high, right? If we got mad at Canada, we'd have a lot more problems on our hands as far as oil dependency. Um, but maybe 8% of our stuff, we can figure out where to get it from somewhere else, Um and we want to do that. We want to not give Russia our money um, because then they use that money to create uh, machines that do war. And that's just kind of not cool. Um, so we need to figure out how to keep on doing our stuff while not using the oil that we used to get from them. This has happened before. For foreign policy decisions, um, especially in the 1970s, we had a uh, few different oil crises um, because of whatever. Because countries that produced oil did things that we didn't like or we did things that they didn't like and we no longer had access to oil. Um, or uh, labor action. I'm pretty sure one of the oil crises was labor action. And I am like usually on the side of the laborer in that in that context mm -hmm. um some countries that had become very car dependent um i'm thinking like denmark like norway no well maybe norway i don't know the netherlands is what i was actually trying to say uh they said hey it really sucks when um we get locked out of the market of buying cheap oil and our whole you know, way of life has become dependent on oil. So maybe we could either produce all of the oil that we need, which if you're Denmark is not a thing you're going to do, or we could need less oil. Mm -hmm. Those are the two options. Um, and because it's Denmark and they couldn't produce all of their own oil, they said, how do we do things to make it so we need less oil? And they did that. And so since the 1970s, um, a lot of countries in like very Western Europe have been finding ways to reduce their dependency on oil. In America, <laughs> we went the other way <laughs> and we said, how can we make more of this stuff in house? Cause we need it. I need it to show those commies. Um, 
Which is all to say that in the 70s, something like this happened before where we needed oil and we didn't have it. And some countries responded in a way that made a future problem of a similar kind less likely. And some countries didn't. As a quick interjection so that I can stop thinking about it. Uh Uh-huh. I'm off Twitter, but I occasionally get to see tweets via producer Quinn. Yeah. And uh, one of those tweets was something, something like, why y'all upset about gas prices? That's just like, that's like, why, why are all you capitalists upset about gas prices? Like, you wanted this. And then someone in the replies said, uh, WTF does... Um, gas prices have to do with capitalism. (laughs) And then someone replied to that, what does precipitation have to do with my shirt getting wet? And I thought that was very funny. Yeah. I, I can trust it's a good tweet if, if producer Q likes it. That's how I, how I judge my tweets often. Because it used to be, if you liked it, I could be like, okay, that's a good tweet, but but now. All right, now that I have said my piece, you may continue. Yeah. So the interesting thing about that piece that you just said um, is that, like, yeah, this is what happens when you've got a market. Um, is that as supply goes down and demand stays constant, price increases. Um, and the idea is then that the price increases drive down demand um so it matches supply at a level where the price is acceptable to people Mm -hmm. but sometimes um for things like healthcare or housing uh we have this wonderful nifty economic term called inelastic demand wherein this is just a thing that you need and you can't not need it you can't be like, oh, I'm just not going to get health care because it's too expensive. You will go get the health care and pay whatever the health care costs because the other option is die. Um, or, you know, incur significant health care costs down the line. That's the other option, I suppose. But like both of those kind of suck. The way that we have built our environment, um, oil and gas has become an inelastic demand or... You know, it is inelastic after a point. Maybe because gas prices are high, people will go on fewer vacations. But um, if the only way to get from your home to your job is to use gas, you need to use gas. Um, it's just not not an option for you to not do that. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, haha, the capitalists, we got them. Um, now they're paying more for this thing that they need. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, all of the that, people Twitter. who who just exist and just have to live their life. Well, so I'm responding to me from the past because the first thing that I saw about this was like, yeah, serves them right. Um, it's, it's us. That's everyone. It's, it's not just M. It's everyone. Do well, it's not me. Okay. But it's like, as you've said, like a lot of america yeah yeah a lot of america that like was not really involved in a lot of these decisions right right so like not like literally everyone but like everyone yeah (laughs) for the purposes of getting elected everyone (laughs) and so the problem that people are seeing because they weren't involved in these decisions, they're just living in the world that has been created around them, is that gas prices are too high. And the solution to that problem that they envision is to bring gas prices back down. Gas prices were low before, and now they are too high. How do we get them back down? Um, And I really wish there were a way for me to just, like, blast the message into everyone's brain that this is, like... All things that were chosen and could be chosen differently. 
Um, and barring that, uh, like a better system of electoralism where people get to make considered decisions and not just worry about uh, maintaining their job, um, which like you kind of need if you're a career politician, you just kind of need to like continue to have a job because that's how you like survive in the world. And so you don't want to piss off too many constituents by doing something that goes out on a limb, even if you are in a in a situation where that sense is getting way too long i wish a, a government person could say hey i know this sounds kind of way out there but it would be good to make the built environment in a way that we need less oil and also to make oil easier to get for right now as a band-aid but the way that things work mostly politicians just don't want to piss off their constituents um, and constituents just want their lives as they live them right now to be easier in the ways that they imagine. Um, far more than they want things to be better in some big abstract way. And so the way that things get fixed a lot of the time is in an attempt to get back to some semblance of what was normal before the problem occurred um, very quickly. So what's normal look like? It looks like having 8% of our, our oil capacity met somehow. 8% of our oil need met somehow. And for the same prices that we were getting from Russia. Right. This is, by the way, a much tougher situation for a lot of Europe because they're, the percentage of their oil that is coming from Russia is a lot higher than 8%. I can't speak to the ways that decisions about that get made in Europe at all um but given that we're feeling the effects of it at eight percent um if other countries that are at like 20 percent um try to make the same changes it's going to be very difficult in a way that hurts the people of that country more than that hurts russia arguably so here's the big tapestry of history that we've just woven and into this i am going to plop uh a headline, which is, Senator Baldwin supports biofuel bill, blames Putin, Putin, Putin. What's that? Senator Baldwin supports biofuel bill, blames Putin for fuel prices. Okay, cool. So a bipartisan group of lawmakers came together and they said, hey, Russia's bad. We're going to take this current, like, temporary policy to um, not use Russian oil because the because russia is doing imperialism in ukraine and we don't like that um we're going to take that and codify it into a law and make it like a permanent thing that until russia gets out of ukraine we will not be buying russian oil the recent price spike in gas was because of putin also there was a price spike before that there's a lot of elements to consider um we can talk about that later. Liz, remember that. We're going to talk about the, the gas price, price spike. Okay. <laughs> um, so the goal is to take that 8% of oil that we would be getting from Russia and replace it with biofuel instead. Um, currently, actually, we are making something like 42 million units of excess ethanol. And we would normally be importing 46 million units of oil from Russia. And so we're very close to balancing that out with ethanol in like a, a volume sense. So the goal of this law is to replace that oil from Russia with biofuel. And the mechanics by which that happens is um, by opening the door to E15 fuel. Um, so you probably remember sometime in our lifetime, they started doing E10 fuel, uh, which is gas that has somewhere around 10% of it is ethanol. 
and the rest of it is gas. And so in the intervening years, we've figured out how to do E15 fuel, which is gas that you put in your car. It works like gas. 15, 13 to 15% of it is ethanol, and the rest of it is gas. Am I thinking of the right thing? Uh, ethanol, like, is... Uh, it kind of... Um, it degrades engines or motors, I'm not quite sure, faster. Is that... If your engine was made before 2001, the ethanol-based fuels will degrade it a little bit faster than gas. Okay. And also, it will not be twice the price of the ethanol, whatever. It'll be cheaper because it's Mm -hmm. ethanol-based. Ethanol is an alcohol... Alcohol? Yeah, that we make from corn. And we take the corn, and we turn the corn into ethanol, and then we use it and we mix it in with gas in some process I don't understand, and that turns into more gas um, that we can then put in cars. Um, Biden's main thing has been talking about shifting to electric cars, uh, which I think, which I have a lot of complicated feelings about. I think it's not the worst choice. <laughs> um, but there's going to be a lag in that. Not everybody's going to have an electric car by next year, and so... Um, Baldwin and this bipartisan group of lawmakers are hoping that there will also be support for some short-term fixes like increasing E15 production. Um, So the bill's name is the Home Front Energy Independence Act. It does not, it's not a fun initialism. It's just words that you put together. And I think that's how you know this is a bill that they don't want to be looked at too heavily. (laughs) Um, I don't think that's true. I think they don't mind if people look at the bill, but I think it's dumb that they don't make the the letters spell a fun thing. If Um, you're going to say something silly like, give it to me again. Home Front Energy Independence Act. If you're going to say something as silly as Home Front Energy Independence Act, it, it should at least have a fun initialism. Yeah. You could just be like, you could do it like a Friends episode, uh, the one where we switch to E15 based Ooh. gasoline. Ooh, I like it. The gang switches to E15 based gasoline. Yeah. This is the thing I've seen in, in a lot of, if I just go like, hey, Senator Baldwin is doing this bill right now, is supporting this bill or is sponsoring this bill or whatever. Um and I look into it, a lot of times the only articles about it will be just about like the bill as a thing that's happening or will be about why it's good for the industry that it's good for. Sure. Uh, there is a size of bill that is too small for anyone to report on skeptically, um, but earnestly. Could you elaborate on that? Um, I think the Dairy Pride Act is bad. I don't think there are a lot of articles that anybody has gone online and written about how the Dairy Pride Act is, like, not doing any good for anyone. Mm-hmm. And doesn't seem to be substantiated by, like, people are actually confused by this and we need to clear up that confusion. Um, but if it was enacted, nobody would really care also um and the like milknewstoday.com can say here's here's the news about this bill about milk um and like this will be great for dairy farmers because lots of people get confused in the grocery aisle and not cite their sources whatever um not critically look at it mm-hmm. um but just kind of report it on the surface And so my critical take on the Dairy Pride Act is that we probably don't need it. And my critical take on the Homefront Energy Independence Act is upcoming. um, But I don't see a lot of other critical takes of it around on the Internet. Uh, Mostly it's just like, hey, I grow corn and I think this is great. 
But like, there's got to be a reason that we haven't done this already, right? What's the reason? Do I agree that this trade-off is one worth making? Uh, find out after these messages. <laughs> so the Home Front Energy Independence Act um, does a few things. It prohibits importing oil or oil products from Russia until the president determines that Russia recognizes the sovereignty of Ukraine. Once the president says, yes, Russia understands the sovereignty of Ukraine, we're good. Um, it establishes an income tax credit for the sale or blending of ethanol-based fuels. Um, you remember a while ago we talked about value-added tax and the way that it works? Yeah. I'm Is not... that like at each step this thing gets taxed in a particular way based on this whole complicated tax code of um what the product is and where it's going and at each step it gets taxed and you tax based on the person before you and there's this whole way that it works but it like introduces honesty into the chain this would make a lot of sense as a value-added tax because what we really want to tax is the good and the way that this tax the, what we really want to tax differently is the good the the actual ethanol at the end mm -hmm. ethanol-based fuel at the end and what we want the the way that this is actually accomplished um is through a five to ten cent income tax credit per gallon blended or per gallon sold um, but the sold only applies if the blended wasn't to this particular gallon okay <laughs> is that going to be on the test <laughs> um so if you make E15 fuel, you get five cents per gallon as part of your income taxes. As part of your income tax refund at the end, you get a tax credit to incentivize you to do this. And the idea is that then you would charge less for the thing because you know you're getting five cents back for every time you make it or sell it is the idea. You're going to charge less for the thing right uh-huh it also extends tax incentives for biodiesel and renewable diesel um they would have expired at the end of 2022 um but if this bill passes they would instead expire at the end of 2025 um i don't know what those are i don't really care to research they're just things that already exist about biodiesel that are gonna last for three more years um this amends the clean air act um and God, the way that amendments work in laws. Have you, like, read laws and seen how they get amended? Uh, probably not, no. Um, okay, let me find... Not to the same this. degree, at least. Okay, so this is a change to the Reed Vapor Pressure Limitations and E15 Labeling. Um, so when this bill passes, uh, the Reed Vapor Pressure Limitations Section 211H of the Clean Air Act is amended uh, starting with paragraph 4 in the matter preceding subparagraph A by inserting or more after 10% and in subparagraph C by striking additional alcohol or and in paragraph 5A by inserting or more after 10%. It's like, uh, it's like get you just yeah. uh, list the changes you don't actually <laughs> yeah then we go down to existing waivers section 211 of the clean air act is amended um, by striking the administrator comma upon and inserting the following a the administrator comma upon and adding at the end the following b a fuel or fuel additive that has been granted a waiver under subparagraph a prior to january 1st 2017 yada 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 um, so they took out like four words to replace them with four words with an A in front of them. Um, and you're right. That is like Git, uh, in the way that people think about Git, but there's no like diff. There's no diff view. There's no going like, yeah. what does this law look like before and after? So I have some context. Um, there should be. and there should be, this is my thought. And so I started, I like made a little diff view and I copied the actual text of this law over and then I copied the changes over and the diff tool that I was using was bad. 
Um, <laughs> but I imagine with a better diff tool, it would look all right. Uh, Jared, if you have such a tool or you would like to make such a tool, please do. That sounds interesting. Yeah. And probably the wording of this, you could get like a machine learning to to just auto-do it. That'd be pretty cool. I wonder if there's like a standard grammar, so to speak, mm-hmm. for listing changes that you could just, instead of machine learning, which is a little... Which is pretty good at that sort of thing, but is not a hundred percent good at that sort uh-huh. of thing. If there's already a hundred, sorry, if there's already a one hundred percent good system, then you could probably just turn that into an algorithm that works every time. Right. If you just want to parse it, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about that. I'd been thinking somebody in a in a Chuck Grassley's office would have to sit there and like step by step do the diff. But hmm, I like that. I like that as a concept, and it is definitely a thing that could be built. Sick. I'm contributing. <laughs> if at any point you've got a, a thought or want to jump in, feel free. I'm just... I, I will. Okay. Um, so there are these 200-year-old formalities, and I look at them, and then I have to go look at the context. And there's like something about reed vapor pressure is a little bit different now. Um, and the reed vapor pressure expectations are unclear on e15 and what that means is that when god i don't actually know what reed vapor pressure is about something 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 gas something something creates vapor pressure whatever um they add in some labeling requirements so you've got to say this is e15 fuel um and those are the four things if you read four did I say four, one, two, three, four? Um, if you read the, like, what is this bill about? You get, it's to prohibit the importation of petroleum from the Russian Federation to establish an income tax credit for the sale or blending of certain fuels, um, to amend the Clean Air Act with respect to the ethanol wa- waiver, and other purposes. Get, commit, summary changed stuff (laughs) and so you read through this and i was going through and i was like okay well i'm at the end of the four things that they listed uh, and there's still some more pages so i guess that's the other purposes what's that about section six is a section on grants for expanding domestic biofuel consumption um it establishes a board to distribute grants um to states or tribal governments or agencies or authorities or a group of entities um, to do any number of things to increase the use of domestic agricultural crops by expanding in the expansion of domestic biofuel markets to stabilize prices in agriculture markets by increasing demand for feedstock derived from agricultural crops to support farm income by increasing demand for feedstock use and production, to boost production, domestic production and use of biofuels to promote, promote rural economic development and job creation. And so they can be converting existing pump infrastructure to deliver E15. They can be diversifying the geographic area, settling ethanol blends um, with, such as E15. They can be supporting existing or emerging biodiesel um, fuel markets for aviation. Um, they can be building and retrofitting traditional and pipeline biodiesel terminal operations, um, and home heating oil distribution centers or equivalent entities. So these are all of the things that these grants could be for. Okay. Um, and for the grants, uh, for each of the years, 2022 through 2031, um, they have a hundred million dollars to give out for these grants. Okay. I'm, I don't really know what, uh, is that a lot? Is that about right? Is that not very much? I don't know. Actually, I don't have context. Um, I am, but a meager human like living just on my own budgeting. And that seems like a lot of money. 
So I don't know. I don't have that in the context. I of... think we could probably get by on a hundred million. <laughs> um, and it would be a billion total over the course of those ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, a billion dollars is then a billion dollars that is being chosen to contribute to the creation of the future. Mm-hmm. We're building the world that we want to see by installing ethanol-based fuel pumps as opposed to bike lanes, whatever. Um, this is now a choice that is being made. We're choosing to remove ourselves from Russian oil by attaching ourselves more strongly to biofuels and not by detaching ourselves fully from oil. I kind of jumped the gun on this, but like, there's a reason for this, and it's that what everybody is expecting is for gas to get cheaper. Um, The thing I'm thinking is if you are... uh, If you think about, like, the current Overton window, uh, mm -hmm. you see, like, you have right and left, and, like, the left side of our current, like, two-party system is, like, let's just kind of keep things how they are and make, like, kind of vague social gestures. Mm -hmm. And uh, of the two solutions you listed for gas prices being too high, only one of them would keep things roughly how they are. Yeah. And and keeping things roughly how they are with respect to oil and like the way you get from your suburban house to your uh, job, wherever it is, keeping things the same in that respect is something that we'll say is like very much within the Overton window, that policy. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas trying to shift infrastructure away from using oil, similar to, was, was it um, Denmark that you said? Yep. Similar to Denmark uh, would require some like... I think the the term is political will. Yeah. <laughs> which um no one really, I mean not no one. Um which the people who make up the largest voting blocks in America do not want. Mhm. Even if it's good for them. It's also just like unfair. Like you said, it's easy to imagine that everybody is driving and everybody is being affected by gas prices, but that's also not true. And so if we're putting a bunch of America's money into, um, on top of all the money that we already put into the the roads and the highway system and the, the building of new roads and not the maintaining of existing roads and, um, keeping gas prices low becomes another thing, another way that, um, cars become subsidized and every other way of life does not mm-hmm. hot take alert the u.s decided at some point i'm not sure when maybe when when uh, reagan asked gorbachev to tear down that wall um to outsource any kind of innovation to private industry uh the role of government became largely to take things as they were and keep them that way unless something unimaginably disruptive unimaginably disruptive came along um, I think that is the thing at the core of neoliberalism, but honestly, I don't, I, that's a word that I've heard more than I've heard the definition of it. I wish we could see that there's a climate crisis and, uh, and an oil crisis and not treat them as one is infinitely more important than the other, but as these are two things and let's figure out where the, the fixes to them can overlap. Uh, but we don't. You know, there's probably a billion things that I don't think about every day that a lot of people wish that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, f- some of them would be unimaginably disrupt- disruptive. Climate change is a 
is a big one that we're yeah. pretty sure is going to be unimaginably <laughs> disruptive. I think it falls well within that uh, category. Yeah. But the desire is going to be not how do we stop climate change, but once climate change happens, how do we keep things about the same as they've been? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we promised you that you would hear what I actually think about this bill. Um, to have something good to say on that first, I want to say what the deal with E15 is. Why have we not done E15 yet? Um, there's some concerns that it may contribute to smog. So currently we can't use it in the summer months. That is still true from everything I can see. Um, but obviously if we're making so much more fuel E15, that's probably going to go away. Um, also like maybe it doesn't actually happen or maybe it does happen, but like the same as all fuels and all other fuels get a particular waiver and E15 just didn't exist when they made that waiver for all fuels to get waived. And so maybe the waiver for all fuels also applies to E15, but for right now you can't use it in the summer. It is a little bit more corrosive than gas based on some studies and some studies say it's the same. Um, but it's not like less corrosive than gas. We've got that one pretty for sure. Um, it's mostly interchangeable with non-ethanol gas, but if your engine wasn't built for it, if it's from pre-2001, um, it might gum up the works a little bit, but it's not going to like break everything immediately. It's just going to like slightly decrease the lifetime of this vehicle. Mm -hmm. Um, one interesting thing is that there's a lot of like green energy folks who are like, hey, let's do this ethanol thing. One, because it's renewable, we can keep having ethanol for as long as we can keep having corn. Um, and two is it actually emits uh, less carbon dioxide than gasoline. I think I saw somewhere about 60% as much carbon dioxide as gasoline does. That's significant. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's that E15 is 60%. I think it's that, like, if you just burned pure ethanol versus pure right. gasoline. Um, so that's, what, 15? So 9% less, roughly. Okay. Which is or more wait, than zero. No. It's 9% it's less... Sorry, Jared, I'm bad at math. Um, no, it's going to be... I have entirely forgotten how to do such math. Um, I think it's going to be 6%. 6%? The is that compared benefit. to pure gasoline, or is that compared to E10, which was what we had before, I believe? I think that would be pure gasoline. I did, Yeah, I was trying to do the between... I suppose you could just oh, God. increase by 5%. You could just do it... It'd be 2%. In that case, okay. Don't quote me on that, Jared. Um, I'm gonna say two percent. Final answer. Okay. Which is still better than zero. Um, yeah. I think this bill would be a good plank in a long road. Um, I think if only this bill got passed, it wouldn't be awful. I think it would be better than nothing happening. I also think for more reasons than Russia, we should figure out how to make our ways of life less dependent on cars. And I think just as this can galvanize us to subsidize the corn industry or subsidize driving or subsidize whatever, give up, give up more leases to federal land for oil drilling or whatever it is that the American Oil Drillers Association wants right now, we could also use this as a galvanizing force to make our way of life less energy dependent. And I'm sad that I am fairly confident that's not what's about to happen. I don't think this bill is bad. I think it's, I wish it were on the other end of the Overton window than it is. I'm imagining a way this could be bad. If it, so like it, it's 2% better for greenhouse emissions and like i i'm kind of think feeling like it's going to be two percent better in general <laughs> and yeah that 
maybe a bad thing because it's like if you don't think about the two percent part and you're just like it's better it's very easy to just go like done mm-hmm. whereas like not that like a ton was happening before but like if we say we need more things to happen someone could point to this and be like we did that we already did that yeah and it would be difficult to be like that wasn't good enough because if it wasn't good enough why didn't why did we do it in the first place yeah and like not not that like that logic holds up or anything it's just that like i can imagine someone having that train of thought Mm -hmm. oh great we have corn gas don't need to worry about oil anymore (laughs) it becomes another thing that makes it becomes a thing that will probably not slow down if tomorrow this bill passed and two days later russia pulled out of ukraine um we would keep producing ethanol at a heightened rate and gas would just get cheaper maybe possibly there's and we'd get more reliant on it right if gas was even cheaper probably yeah we wouldn't be incentivized to not be. Um, and we would not be looking at the ways in which decisions and money spent by the U.S. government make gas cheaper. Because this is just the way that things are now. And all we're trying to do is keep things the way that they are. And then get mad that the government's spending too much money when a lot of that it's spending on our cars. I have a plan. I mean, a lot more of it is getting spent on um, war-waging machines that we have, uh, but that's not... (laughs) Please tell me your plan. The plan is we uh, invade, like, the Pearson Education Corporation or something. Okay. To uh, just, like, make some changes without anyone noticing to some history textbooks and like convince a couple generations of people that like the like American ideal of like the nuclear family and the in the uh in your suburban and you got the two cars or maybe even one car mm-hmm. and you got your garage and your yard and it's full of grass um and you drive to work and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We convince this generation or many generations of people just because we, you know, no one's noticed that the textbooks are wrong. Um, right. And it's just the same. I mean, it's not like drastically more wrong. It's the same propaganda bullshit. It's just different. <laughs> just um, ours this time. And we just convince everyone that it used to be like, the ideal is like, people could just walk to work. And like, uh. Even, like, you know, not that, like, I'm saying that, like, this is ideal for me, but, like, it's much better for me. Um, I'm defending myself against uh, (laughs) comments that are not coming. Um, (laughs) But you can walk to work, and no one has cars, and uh, whatever. We have, like, moss instead of grass, because it's, like, better. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, living in an apartment is fine. Right, because that's like people grow up and they're like, "This is what I want my adult life to look like," and then they try to get that, and that is bad. Yeah, I was thinking you were going in a direction of um, the like nuclear family idea is Russian propaganda to make oh. America weaker. <laughs> yeah, need more uh, rug, not rugged individualism, but um, rugged unionization collectivism yes collectivism thank you and that's how we show the commies yeah by all banding together and (laughs) (laughs) Uh centrally controlling our economy to make sure that there's always um, enough oil to go around we have built a world in which gas is an inelastic demand and usually when something is an inelastic demand um my thought is that it should be nationalized, right? It should be, if it's a thing that you can't opt out of, it should be a thing that you have say over. 
if healthcare sure. is a thing that you can't opt out of, it should be a thing that you can make choices about and that exists for the benefit of people. If housing is a thing that you can't opt out of, um, it should be a thing that exists in a way that you have some say over. Um, and we could do that too. I saw some guy on Twitter like an hour ago be like, I think that we should nationalize oil, which is something we could do. We could say this is an inelastic demand and, and when we need it, we hit the button and the oil printer goes burr and that solves the problem of it being an inelastic demand, um, but we can solve it other ways and we can't do that with healthcare. And the other ways of solving it make, make lives better generally and not just in the way that oil is cheap. Also freight rail. I think every day now about freight rail, electrified freight rail. So the thing is, just due to like physics, just due to like the, the friction coefficient of rubber on road versus steel rolling on steel, it's so much more efficient to move the same thing pound for pound on a, a railway than it is in a truck on a road. Like twice as efficient. Takes half as much energy. We wouldn't need Russia's 8% or like Canada's 25% or another some percent math brain isn't on right now but um because everything is freight rail now think about it and now a psa from the worrying bugs daylight does not need saving it was never in danger in the first place this has been a psa from the worrying bugs Jared, if you can think of a third option that would uh, both somehow save the environment and not make uh, a horde of liberals angry for this uh, gas crisis. Or if you want to come up with ideas on how to use government grants to build a biofuel-powered bike lane, you can reach out and ask me about it on Twitter. I'm at... 